Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Annabay. Annabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Annabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Blood on the Tracks is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Bob Dylan was a musical genius and one of the greatest songwriters of all time. He didn't follow leaders. He chased that thin, wild, mercury sound. He never looked back even as the times changed. And as the times changed, Bob Dylan changed. He tried on and discarded identities like they were masks. He transformed. He transfigured. And somewhere along the way, the Bob Dylan that you thought you knew died. This is his story. Day four? Yes, it's day four. A Monday, August 1st, 1966. This is uh, Dr. Ed Thaler. Once again, I'm reviewing the progress of the patient 
Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan. Uh, Bob is still in a fair amount of distress. Fever dreams and moments of severe anxiety are not uncommon after the type of distress he experienced. He has mentioned ghosts or apparitions a few times in the last 24 hours as well. His physical injuries seem to be healing just fine. There are no problems to really speak of, but he has taken to wearing a neck brace, although it's my professional opinion that that is more for mental comfort than it is for physical support. He also, in more feverish moments, has been talking about running away. I ran away from home when I was very young. I told you that yet? The police picked me up, so I did it again and again and again. I wanted to be a circus hand, a carnival boy, a road bum. But I couldn't get out. Couldn't slip the net. Eventually I did, though. I guess that's where this need for reinvention came from. A desire to get out and make yourself. To become someone no one ever thought you could be that you never thought you could be. When you break free from life and go out and live, you really see what it's all about. That's what I did in 75. I got out and saw the world. Sure, I'd been to see it many times before, but this time I really saw it. I really experienced it. And I was the one who left so much blood on the tracks. Chapter 4 Bob Dylan is Rolling Thunder. I'm still haunted by these people. They are people I've never even met, but they haunt me. I guess I lost myself in what happened when writing that song. Sometimes songs can take you over like that. I still see that man slumped over a bar, his back all ripped up. You can see flesh and bone and blood. This idea of transfiguration that I'm always talking about, it's real, you know that, right? The Rolling Thunder Review was all about that. People asked me why I wore masks and white makeup on that tour. Well, when a man wears a mask, he's going to tell you the truth. I was living my truth. Break free from life. I grew up in northern Minnesota. The carnival came and went when I was young. I was always captivated by it. We all were. I wanted that for this tour. A traveling show. A carnival. I wanted to do something I'd never done before. I wanted to invent need for reinvention. The tour I'd staged the previous year had been huge. It was all private jets, arenas, and outdoor shows. I got out and saw the world. The mid-70s was like that. People realized music could be a global industry. I'd just released an album called Blood on the Tracks. And I was on a real high in my career, but with this tour, I wanted the opposite. 
I wanted to get back down to earth, so that's what we did. When we were on the road, I even drove the bus most of the time. I had this old motorhome I'd go around in. It was the antithesis of a private jet. A road bump. It wasn't just me, though. Everyone was like that on Rolling Thunder. Roger McGuinn from The Birds went around in this thing called the Green Machine. Man, I don't even know how that thing started up, let alone how it lasted the whole run. The whole thing really felt like I was at the start of my career all over again. Like I was a new man, reborn. I was the happiest I think I've ever been. We played all over the country and our friends came with us too. Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, T-Bone Burnett. Hell, even a young Sharon Stone was there. At least I like to pretend she was. There was one person who summed up the whole thing. Her name was Scarlett Rivera. I met her thanks to our old friend, Destiny. Before the tour, I was being driven around Greenwich Village one day with no particular place to go, and we passed a woman, and I don't know, she had a strangeness about her. I wanted to be a circus hand. She had long, flowing red hair, and she was dressed like she had been beamed in from another time. But I couldn't get out. She was stick-thin, but she had a weight to her soul. I immediately asked the driver to stop the car and jumped out. I asked her if she could play the violin she was holding, and she said she could, so I asked her if I could hear it. Next thing, we're in my apartment, and she's playing. Man, she played. Her violin sounded like an old traveler was playing it. It was mystical. Go out and live. You really see what it's all about. I'd been writing a new album, but it needed something. Something I didn't have. I thought that this, the sound of this mystical violin, might be what is missing. But I needed to be sure, so I tested her. I was due to go to a Muddy Waters show at a bar in the village, so I asked her if she would tag along. Of course, she said, without missing a beat. So we went. I took to the stage with Muddy that night. It was always a pleasure to play with him. During the show, I couldn't stop looking at Scarlett sitting at the bar. She was like nothing I'd ever seen before. She didn't just look like a normal person. She didn't act like one either. She was kind of scary, but fiercely interesting. Break free from life. After a few songs, I jumped onto the microphone and announced to the crowd, I'm going to bring my violin player up now. Scarlett's eyes widened till they were the size of oranges. Ladies and gentlemen, Scarlett Rivera, I said. I didn't know how she'd act. A desire to get out and make yourself. The bar fell silent. Slowly, everyone started to look where I was looking. It was now or never. She jumped up from her stool. I thought she might make a break for the exit, but her eyes narrowed and she walked directly towards the stage. She casually opened her violin case and said, Shall we? This need for reinvention. We kicked into the song with Muddy taking lead. Everybody in the band got a solo, and so after a while, Muddy nodded to Scarlett to take the spotlight. This is it, I thought. Let's see what she can do. Scarlett stepped into the middle of the stage and burned the damn place down. Reinvention. Her violin wasn't even mic'd up properly, but it sounded like a fire tearing through the joint. The crowd went crazy. 
Scarlet had shared the stage with a blues legend and held her own. She had passed the test. And thank God, too. Scarlet ended up playing on that album I was making, which turned into a record called Desire. I co-wrote that album with a friend of mine, Jacques Levy. It featured great musicians like Emmylou Harris. Even Eric Clapton was supposed to be on it, but Scarlet, Scarlet made that album. During the recording, I'd already been playing the Rolling Thunder tour, and it became obvious that Scarlet's sound, her style, her soul, they were everything the tour should be. She embodied its madness. I told you that yet? On the road, there were rumors she kept a snake in a box in her dressing room. In fact, a few snakes. I don't know about that, but I do know she had a whole collection of swords that she carried around. They went everywhere with her. Also, I remember one day she was on the bus. We were driving somewhere, and she was chanting a Santeria-type verse over and over. No one knew what the hell she was saying or where it had come from. T-Bone Burnett looked unnerved by the whole thing, terrified even. He turned to me and said, this is the bus to hell. I couldn't stop laughing at him. That's what I did. It turned into the best tour we'd ever done. I laughed and smiled for that whole tour. 35 shows that fall and another leg in the spring. But you know, like everything, that stuff never lasts. And what was up next? Divorce and murder. There's a woman now. She floats along. She's wearing a uniform, a waitress uniform. It's covered in blood. It's soaked right through. It's everywhere. I try to tell her, but she can't hear me. The Rolling Thunder review was so long ago, I wasn't even born yet. There was so much drinking on that tour. A lot of coke, too. I remember one day, Ramblin' Jack Elliott said it was suspicious if he weren't on drugs while on that tour. He refused to carry anything in case he got busted, so he'd have someone else carry it for him, and he'd, just before walking out on stage. One night, Bruce Springsteen showed up, except he wasn't the Bruce we all know today. Who's this guy at Springfield? I asked my bass player, Rob Stoner. Sorry, Bruce. My wife, Sarah, had come on that tour, too. She'd come because she was playing a role in the film we were making on the road. My attempt at a European art house flick called Ronaldo and Clara. I wanted it to be like Truffaut's Shoot the Piano Player or Marcel Carnet's Children of Paradise. Sam Shepard came to help, too. He met Joni Mitchell on that tour. That's when she wrote that song, Coyote. That song stopped us all dead in our tracks. Did you know she wrote that one about Sam? To become someone no one ever thought you could be. Joan Baez was also with us and in my film, too. I'd loved Joni for years. We'd been called the king and queen of folk, and I guess that was true. We'd been involved, too, romantically. You know, back in the early days, but it hadn't ended well. I told you that yet? 
One day we went to a bar called Gypsy's Place. We were all drinking hot toddies and Joni disappeared upstairs into an apartment where this old traveler woman lived. This woman showed Joni a pillow that was stuffed with the ashes of her dead husband. She said the pillow was the best night's sleep you ever had. She put on one of the woman's old dresses and danced back into the bar. We had a couple more and then she dragged me outside and stood me under a huge oak tree. I could tell something was wrong, something important. She looked me right in the eyes and said, I've been wanting to ask you this for a decade. Okay, before I finish that part of the story, I have to fill you in on the history between me and Joni. I was very young. I remember seeing her for the first time. She was something else. I didn't want to blink. I was worried that if I blinked, she wouldn't be there when I opened my eyes. She just didn't feel real. Eventually I did, though. She had an unusual way of playing guitar. I could never master that. And her voice, my God. What a voice, that soprano. It was heart-stopping. She did a lot for me in those early days. She brought me on tour with her. I ran away from home when I was very young. Joni was a big deal then. She still is. But she was already the queen then, you know. She brought me on stage with her, calling me her little vagabond. She was even there for me at the Newport Folk Festival. That was the summer of 63, just a few months before the whole world would grow a little darker from a most foul murder. And two years before Newport grew darker with all that Judas nonsense. We started to spend time together, and by the summer of 64, we were close, but the truth is, I wasn't always truthful with Joni. This need for reinvention. We'd spent a lot of that summer at Albert Grossman's house in Woodstock. Joan was taking a break between tours, and I was either riding or riding around on my 350 Triumph. Not the bike that would get us into this mess, but another one. I have sweet moments from that time. We talked about our futures, our futures together, we talked about maybe having kids one day, and we even named one, I think. I even proposed. Again, again, and again. I was kind of half-joking, but Joan was the sort of woman you could easily spend the rest of your life with. We spent a lot of time in a crummy hotel over in Washington Square, too. It was $12 a night. I wanted to be a circus hand. It had no room service and a regular clientele of junkies, pushers, alcoholics, and other dubious New York riffraff. It was like home to us, though. Joan bought me a big black suit jacket with a white shirt and crowning glory, a pair of cufflinks made out of lumpy, opaque violet rocks. She wrote about that in her song, Diamonds and Rust. She wrote about it almost word for word, no filter. I love that song. To be included in something that Joni had written, I mean, to this day, it still impresses me. That you never thought you could be. We did a tour together and played to packed houses with rave reviews. But by the time we got to England in 65, things weren't so great. I'd begun seeing someone else at the same time. Sarah, the woman who had become my wife. I never wanted to hurt Joni, so I kept the two apart. Couldn't slip the net. Sure, that was the wrong decision, but... At the time, I felt like I was protecting the people I loved. I don't know. I don't expect you to understand. It all came to a head at the Royal Albert Hall, the grandest of venues for my betrayal. We were playing a show there at the end of that England tour. I got out and saw the world. 
Me and Sarah were in this little dressing room before the show, and all of a sudden there's a loud rap at the door. Sarah, still jet-lagged, slowly got up and opened the door with a tired yawn. Who's standing on the other side? Joni. Clutching a huge present. Must have been for my birthday. I felt the color drain from my face. I mean, I actually felt it. But I couldn't get out. Joni had never seen Sarah before, not knowing of her existence until this moment. Sarah, not recognizing her, took the gift and politely said thanks. Joan couldn't even bear to look at me as the door closed. It's all over now, Baby Blue was the final song that night. I could barely get the words out. Back to the story I was telling you, under that old oak tree with Joni. I've been wanting to ask you this for years, she said. And I felt the blood drain from my face again, but this time, as I said, it was a decade later. A breeze passed over us and animated that traveler woman's dress. Why'd you never tell me about Sarah, she asked. I struggled to answer. Couldn't slip the net. She looked me dead in the eyes. There was pain in there, deep pain. I didn't answer. We just stood in silence, painful silence. It's because I'm too political and you lied too much, she said, before smiling one of the saddest smiles I've ever seen. I really saw it. I really experienced it. She walked off back to the bar, leaving me under that old oak tree. No one had ever said a truer word in my life. My marriage was falling apart at this point, too, and one night Sarah took to the stage and sang the song I'd written for her, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. She dedicated it to Joan. By the time it came to book the second leg of the tour, I invited Joni to play the entire run, but she declined my invitation. I didn't try to convince her otherwise. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free tired of spills and stains on your sofa wash away your worries with anabay anabay the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices that's right sofas from only 639 dollars Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. There's another man now. He's walking towards me. His right hand is covering his eye. His palm is pressed right over it. Slowly he takes it away and there's, there's nothing there. It's just an empty socket. You know, I've always loved boxing, right? The beast from Hibbing, Sugar Ray Zimmerman. That's what I would call myself in the ring. I told you that yet? I've even got a gym in Santa Monica. Not many people know that. There's pictures of muddy waters and those British bad boys, the Rolling Stones on the wall. Boxing has always been a passion of mine. You give me a boxer's name and I can give you his record, just like that. Boom Boom Mancini, 34 fights, 29 wins, 23 knockouts, five losses. Manny Pacquiao, 72 fights, wins, 62. Knockouts, 39, eight losses. I met him once. He was a great fighter. But there's one boxer I'll always forever be linked with, Reuben Carter. A desire. I became involved in Reuben's story 10 years after he was convicted of murder. Someone had given me his autobiography and I was hooked on his story, hooked on the injustice of it all. You really see what it's all about. I wrote the song Hurricane about him and what happened. 
The what happened is a tale that is a lot like a boxing match, I guess. He was knocked down time and time again, but like all fighters, he got back up. I admired that. If you don't know the story, then allow me to be your narrator for the evening. Are you sitting comfortably? Well, good. Give me a bell. Round one. It's muggy in Patterson, New Jersey, despite being 2.30 in the morning. It's July 17th, 1966. There's these two men. They enter a place called the Lafayette Bar and Grill. It's unusual because they're black, and black folks stayed away from that bar. Hell, most people stayed away from that bar. It was a dump, but it wasn't friendly to people of color. So much so that the bartender, Jim Oliver, slings a bottle at the two men as they enter, just because they're black. It'd be the last thing he did on this earth. A shotgun pellet severs his spinal cord moments later. Within seconds, the two men are spraying bullets into the Lafayette. Some bullets are coming from a shotgun, others from a pistol. A woman called Hazel Tannis, who'd stopped into the bar after her waitressing shift, jumps off her stool and tries to run. But the bullets catch her, knock her to the floor, and she starts bleeding out right away. So much blood. Two other guys are having a conversation at the bar. They're next. One dies instantly. He doesn't even have time to get off his stool. The other turns his head at both the right and wrong moment. A bullet passes through his eye and explodes out of his forehead. He's not dead, but he passes out. Blood stains the wall, the bar, the floor, and the ceiling of the bar. So much blood. Part of an eyeball comes to rest on the pool table. Silence finally rains down on the bloody scene. Round two. Patty Valentine, this local woman, who I'd go on to meet in person in a courtroom, by the way, is asleep on her couch, her TV silent, the grainy picture dancing on the wall of her unlit room above the Lafayette. She wakes up to a loud noise, gunshots possibly, nothing unusual there. See it many times. She goes to her apartment window and sees these two men leaving the Lafayette, one holding a shotgun, the other a pistol. They drive off into the night. Valentine swiftly heads downstairs into the bar and upon entry she sees Hazel Tannis. Her white waitress uniform is turning red. This time I really saw it. Blood soaked through the white cotton and Valentine screaming like she never has before. Round three. Later, Reuben Carter, middleweight, 40 fights, 27 wins, 19 knockouts is lying down in the bed of his rented 66 white Dodge Polera. It's been a long night. We've all been there, right? He'd been out at a night spot, and now he was heading home. John Artis, a young athlete and Ruben's sparring partner, is driving the vehicle. A red police light flicks across his eye line, and like a silent alarm, it makes him uncomfortable. The lack of an actual siren is unnerving even to a man like Reuben Carter, who has had more than a few brushes with the police due to his skin color. His car is stopped for the second time that night. On the first occasion, they were told by the police that they were looking for two men fitting their description. This time, the officer has decided it is them. Couldn't slip the net. Within 30 minutes, Reuben is in the hospital where that guy who was shot through the eye tells the cops he ain't the one. Remember that. The guy that had just been shot is telling the cops it ain't Reuben Carter and John Artis. You really see what it's all about. 
Still, they go back to the police station. Of course they do. And after 17 hours, both men are released, but... Round four. Two men, Alfred Bellow and Arthur Dexter Bradley, had been near the Lafayette bar that night. Bellow was on the lookout for Bradley. Bradley was a, what do you call it, a career criminal. He was apparently trying to break into a nearby metal company. Bellow grew bored of watching Bradley and turns to walk towards the bar in search of cigarettes. After several loud noises, he sees two men come out of the Lafayette, one carrying a pistol, the other a shotgun. One, he said, was Reuben Carter, the other, John Artis. They jumped into a white car and drove away. Pretty damning testimony, right? Well, maybe, if it wasn't for the fact that this testimony came four months after the shooting, when the police offered a $10,000 reward. Round five. The day after Bello and Bradley came out with that, um, report, John Artis is stopped while buying soda. A shotgun appears under his chin, and he and Reuben Carter are arrested for triple murder. You really see what it's all about. The trial is a laughingstock. They both go down. The final round. Almost ten years later, there was a campaign for a retrial. I was more than happy to get involved. We played a gig at the prison where Reuben was being held. Do you know what struck me the most when I met him? It was only a small thing, but it chilled me to my bones. I couldn't stop thinking about his prison number. On his shirt, he had the number 45472 in black type. I couldn't stop thinking how he'd gone from the number one contender to number 45472. This need for reinvention. We played another show for Reuben at Madison Square Garden between rolling thunder legs. Any day now, I shall be released, right? Wrong. It was all for nothing. In the retrial, they found him guilty, again. But I couldn't get out. It wasn't until the 1980s he finally got free. Man. Break free. They took all that from him. I mean, they literally stole his time. How do you recover from something like that? When you leave something like that, when you come out of the other side, how can you reinvent yourself from such a broken place? Someone told me in the mid-90s he was arrested again when Toronto police thought he'd sold drugs to an undercover officer. How long have I been singing about this shit? How long will the world be like this? Makes you wonder, will it ever change? The Atlanta courtroom was hot. It was the middle of July, 1979. Bob Dylan slouched in the witness stand and watched a ceiling fan spin round and round. Mr. Dylan, the prosecuting attorney, Ingrid Pivnik, asked, or should that be Mr. Zimmerman? She smiled. Dylan sat up, rubbed his nose, and finally looked at Pivnik properly for the first time. Sorry, what was the question? I was asking about your wealth, Pivnik responded. How much money have you made from the song Hurricane? The song from the 
The attorney's sentence tailed off as she checked her notes, pausing for dramatic effect, her eyes scanning the page in the courtroom silence. From the gold-selling album Desire, she finally said. Dylan took off his aviator sunglasses for the first time and asked, You mean my treasure on earth? I suppose, the attorney said, but Dylan didn't continue. There was silence once again. Pivnik, with growing impatience, directed her next line at both Dylan and the courtroom at large. In a case like this, defamation, invasion of privacy, unauthorized publication of a name, it is only fair that my client receives what is owed. She motioned to her client who sat behind a dark wooden table, no more than a few feet away from her. Her client was Patricia Ann Valentine, a.k.a. Patty Valentine, the witness to the aftermath of the shooting at the Lafayette that landed Reuben Carter in prison. Dylan's eyes drifted back to the ceiling fan. Pivnik carried on. I would assume you've made quite a lot, a big song like that, a song that's been on the radio, one that you've played live and that was on a successful album. In the song, you clearly imply my client has something to do with this heinous crime, which I might add was committed by a man, according to a court of law, by a jury of your peers that you yourself are defending. Dylan put his shades back on. Why are you defending a criminal? Pivnik asked. The question fell on deaf ears. She picked up a sheet of paper from the table in front of Patty Valentine. I was reading the lyrics to the song Hurricane, and there's a fool mentioned. Who exactly is the fool you speak of? Dylan sat upright in a flash, suddenly engaged. He drew in close to the courtroom's spindly microphone and said, Whoever Satan gave power to, whoever was blind to the truth and was living by his own truth, that's who the fool is. For the first time that day, Pivnik was at a loss for words. Five days later, the Washington Post published Bob Dylan's comments on Satan at the very same time that it was revealed that he had joined an evangelical Christian movement called the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. Dylan's private embrace of Christianity had gone public. What started that day in print would go on to give birth to the next Bob Dylan. But while Dylan was moving on and once again becoming someone new, like a slow train coming, the same could not be said for Patty Valentine, who was continuing her struggle to shake off the events of 1966. And the first thing she did after her defamation trial against Dylan fell apart was to drop Valentine as her last name. She moved from New Jersey to Florida and sought out the quiet life. Years later, in 1999, she met some friends for an evening out. They were old friends she used to know from back in her time in New Jersey. As they walked to the Port St. Lucie movie theater, they passed a bar. Inside was loud and hot. Condensation frosted the part of the window not taken up by the red neon bar sign. She stole a glimpse inside, two guys shooting pool. She had been hiding her anxiety well, but... Now, old memories began to bubble to the surface. She barely talked to her friends about the movie they were about to watch. Inside the pitch-black theater, Patty and her friends sat, waiting. But moments later, the giant screen was filled with the image of Denzel Washington, who, within the year, would win the Academy Award for Best Actor for his performance as boxer Reuben Carter. 
Denzel's eyes dazzled as he stared into the eyes of a young friend and asked, Do you believe I killed those people? His friend replied, I know you didn't. And there was a moment of silence in the St. Lucie Theater. And then, someone in the middle row broke that silence with a steel-hard voice. I know you did. And the voice was Patty's. Sitting next to her was James Lawless, a retired police officer who lived less than two blocks from the Lafayette Bar. He was the man who spoke to Muhammad Ali when the greatest of all time showed up with a quarter million dollars in cash and a suitcase for Hurricane Carter's bail. Also in her group was Patty's lifelong friend, her roommate who lived with her above the bar at the time of the murders. Her name was not public knowledge in 1999, nor will it ever be. On the night of the murders, she was visiting her mother out of town. If she had been home, there's a strong chance that she and Patty would have been downstairs playing pool at the very moment the two men entered the bar brandishing firearms. When Patty was confronted by herself on the screen, played by Pippa Pertri, her friends broke the silence once again, this time with laughter. The on-screen version of Patty looked gaunt and pale, like a junkie with no home. In the theater, Patty laughed the loudest before declaring, I hope I look better than that now. She was bluffing. Her laughter couldn't hide the years of trauma she'd endured since renting the room above the Lafayette. The sound of the gunshots from under her floorboards, the bodies lying motionless, the sleepless nights that followed. And there was so much blood then. And every time she looked back, it was all still there. The blood on the tracks. Blood on the Tracks is produced by Double Elvis in partnership with iHeartRadio. It's hosted and executive produced by me, Jake Brennan. Also executive produced by Brady Sadler. Zeth Lundy is lead editor and producer. This episode was written by Ben Burrow. Story and copy editing by Pat Healy. Mixing and sound design by Colin Fleming. Additional music and score elements by Ryan Spraker. This episode featured Chris Anzalone as Bob Dylan. Sources for this episode are available at DoubleElvis.com on the Blood on the Tracks series page. Follow Double Elvis on Instagram at DoubleElvis and on Twitch at DisgracelandTalks. And you can talk to me, per usual, on Instagram and Twitter at DisgracelandPod. Rock and roll. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you've got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals. And get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.